What's going on with Jansen stuff? What's happening with Jansen things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with Jansen stuff? While we sang the song just now, I remembered when we first sung it in my old apartment uh-huh. and how there was some neighbor of mine who saw you in a dance class and he was like, I listen to your podcast, which I hear you record oh. out my window. Oh, yes, yeah, some Australian person, like, heard it through the walls or something. I mean, that seems correct for that yeah. apartment. That was a real stick-your-finger-through-it. I was thinking while we sang the song... Um, I was thinking? I was thinking. I, yeah, I was thinking <laughs> how I... I was just so, like, uh, involved in um, thinking about how I'm not a good singer or don't have, like, vocal production and ear skills anymore. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I should also, um, when we're done with this, show you these photos from Everything is Imaginable, uh, which, ladies and gentlemen, please come see our show next week. It's Monday, January 7th, and till the 12th. Saturday, January 12th. Tomorrow, Jeremy and I are going to go and pick up the set. Oh, my God. It, uh, so big. So foam. So big. So foam. It's really going to be... Jeremy, that is what... Um, houses in Berlin are covered in is your set, basically. Houses in Berlin are covered in just insulation foam? They cover them in insulation as like efficiency measures without Mm. any consideration for like, does it look okay? So wait, like on the other side of of the wall? Of the like brick and stone buildings. Oh, on the outside. Uh huh. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. On like the street yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's so, amazing. Just pink. Just like pink well, some foam. white. I think more like white gray. And then when it rains and what have you, how's that look? No, it's fine. Oh, it's fine because it's just... It's all plastic. But isn't that stuff flammable too? I think that's the whole point that it's not, right? Mm, I don't know. I I have no idea. I don't either. Um, And it's going to be a real... Well, this is really it. We're really going to do it. We're going to rehearse this week and then we're going to do that show. Yeah, we're just going to do it. I'm just going to go on stage. Okay. It's all going to happen. It's going to be fine. But I need to show you this photo of your, your arabesque in a, one of the photos looks so incredible. And I know it was something you said, look, I'm just not going to air I'll be the anymore. judge of that. I'm going to show it to you. Okay. And you're going to be like... After the break in the middle, we'll come back. And <laughs> I'll let you know how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can let us know how you feel about it. But it's because I was going through photos last night. I was like, oh, wow. All right. It's like really... Major. Right? Yeah, I was pretty like, nailed that. Yeah, really good. All the way through the foot. Yeah. Wow, thank it was, you. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you'll see. Okay. Posterity. Um, wait... That, that... What okay, so we... Went oh, to, your we vocal to, production. Oh, yeah. And that, like, the... In 2019, may it be, like, the... You letting go of that you're not a good singer and a great dancer, because you're an amazing dancer. Designer. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're an amazing yeah, I'm not designer. A, I'm not amazing at anything, but I'm diligent, and... Is that what you said about Madonna last night? That is. I guess I'm just like Madonna. You said that she's just a really good... She's a hard worker. Yeah, me too. Um, But you are a really good dancer, though. Well, I am extremely talented in most ways. Yep. Anyways. (laughs) There you go. 2019, just have it be that. In 2019, we could just be like, you know what? Really incredible at that. Yeah, well, this is the, like, very short time of the year where you and I are numerically only one year apart. Wow. So that must feel really good for you. It does. It yeah. helps me not feel so crypt keeper <laughs> and, and a little more like um, uh, luxurious, some sort yeah, of. You get 31 more days of being only one year older than me. Wow, that's wow. pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
and then and then it happened. And then it's gonna happen. Well, I was I, famously young for my grade, and you must have been famously old for your. Grade. I was not. <laughs> when I was eighteen, when I graduated, that's not. That is normal. Old. Normal. That's that's, normal. Isn't that normal age? I mean, what? How old were you? Seventeen. Yes, I was. Wow, when you graduated Interlock and you were 17 years yeah, old? Yeah, for half of my senior freshman year of college. Wow, mm-hmm. you were famously young. Thank you. Good for you. Because my mom basically like taught, brought me to PS41 when I was four years old, and she was like, he has to start in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Why that. did she do that? She needed me to start school. Because she needed to go to work. Well, I had been in preschool since I was 10 months old. Right. So I think the preschool people were like, it's time. Yeah. And then she was like, well, you know, you have to be born before. Mm, do you hear that? I, that was me. What if that was my, what if this is my voice now? Stick with it. For 2019. I'm just never going to clear my throat. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, you guys. <clears throat> it. it was so, I do it. it was so incredible. <laughs> It was super, like, I really went to, like, Candace Bergen, like, right away. I was, like... Kathleen Turner. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. So, I think, because my birthday is, you know, four months or three months after the deadline. Right. She was, like, just, it's fine. Right. His brain is normal. Yeah. Yeah, so I went to school. High functioning. Yeah, and I was, like, maybe tallish. And how old's Jack? My brother? Yeah. Uh, his birthday's in March. He's three years older. This is the... So, so he, he was seven when you went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was it the same? Was it all the same location? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So would Jack walk you there? When I was four, four? and he yeah. was seven? Yeah. No, because it was like at least 10 blocks away. So I think my mom would put us on the school bus it's on 6th Avenue. Wow. On the corner of 6th and Spring was a school bus. It's so <laughs> incredible. I really wish it would have been my childhood. Like, I so deeply wish I would have grown up in New York. I had a lot of dreams, because my mom used to wear, like, um, a black cotton or rayon uh, long coat, which mm-hmm. is like a men's old-fashioned top coat, but yeah. very, like, flowing. And you I would have it. a dream. She would hold both of our hands and mm-hmm. walk us to the subway. What's it called? Bus. School bus. School bus. <laughs> my mom has... Walked us to the subway. Yeah. She gave us a token each, and she's like, bye. My mom See has you at four. <laughs> been on the subway since I ever knew her. Like, right. literally. I've never seen her on the subway. Ever. Wow. She doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, not out of, like, being rich, because she had zero money. She right. just refused. Yeah. I get yeah. it. I, I she's mean, not the most reasonable person. No. Yeah. Really not. But I super get it. Yeah. And it's, if we didn't live in Brooklyn, we would. Well, you don't live in Brooklyn, so I you don't, don't have to, except you have to come here to record I this. I know. Anyways. Um, and I used to have nightmares about her taking our hands, leaving the house, walking down the street, and walking so fast to get to the school bus, which often happened. But in the dream, we let go hands, and they don't stop to get my hand again. And they, my brother and my mom just keep going. And where do you go? I just cry. And that's it. That's, and that, is that's that a, when I wake up. Is that, a, oh, is that a recurring dream? When I was little. Oh, when you were little. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were just having that one now. Oh, I had it last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, last night I dreamed about Doug Lethrin. <gasps> what? It was really nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was it like that kind of a dream? Um, It started to become that kind of a dream, uh-huh. but it didn't. No, it was like, it was friendly and like a little saucy. Friendly and a little saucy. Well, I yeah. mean, on brand. As you'd want it to be with yeah. a dream with Doug, you know? Yeah, I mean? well, and yeah. 
And IRL. Doug told me some of the wildest things when we were in Vupertal that we didn't talk about on the podcast, which we should have. But if he ever is in New York, uh-huh. I think he'll share them with us. Sure. Yeah. Well, I always love getting stories like that from okay. people. In exchange, no less, <clears throat> I don't just take. I can give. We had a New Year's party last night. We did. You did. You threw it. At your I home. did. I did. I was really... And you know what? I As I went to buy all of the... Crackers. <laughs> <laughs> I had other things besides crackers. Carrots. I also had a ton of no nitrite, like no nitrite. <laughs> I'm so tired. No nitrite. <laughs> I had no nitrite, ma. <laughs> Imagine no nitrate, my a lot, Charles. <laughs> no nitrate, what? Me. Me. But the way that character would be is like, I got all this no nitrate, my a lot, Charles. I did. I got like all that Applegate, you know, like. Um, Applewood? What's it called? Apple. It's Applegate. Applegate. I'm, I don't know. Salami. It's, it's the, yeah, it's the organic, what have you. No, not chop mat. <laughs> um, I got that and like a ton of cheese. And I got so many carrots and radishes and an artichoke dip. I, I made had, that guacamole. I've and never seen. Tons of nuts. Carrots presented at a party like that. <laughs> ever. I never. I, because generally if you're going to present whole carrots at a party, they're like slender uh. and kind of like. Fine crudite kind of carrots, but this was like fully, like right out of the bag. That the juicer, you know, the kind of carrots that go to the juicer, and just like on a plate. Yep, radishes. I just like <clears throat> got a bunch of carrots, and then I like washed them, and I just cracked them in half, and I stuck them in that bowl with those like you really whole did. radishes, which. By the way, is exactly how Parker would do it too. Yeah, we like when we like put together like a crudite cheese plate. It's just like it's all out there and now. Just like use your hands and dig in. I don't like eating whole radishes. Oh, I love a radish. I don't mind like a shaved radish for a bit of spice, but they're so it. spicy. How are can they? a vegetable be that <laughs> spicy? Radishes, what's up? What is going on it's with a your diff- life? It's not like a hot, it's not hot. It's not like a pepper. It's just so spicy. It's a, it's a, it's warming. I like it. There was two, there was different bean dips. There was, mm-hmm. as I said, popcorn, cookies. a bunch of gluten-free cookies. The thing about popcorn is that yeah. you made a lot of microwave popcorn, but the thing about it is it gets stale after two minutes. Oh, well, everyone ate it. Like, literally, all the popcorn has gone at the end, so I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to throw any away. Wow. It was all eaten. All right. Everything. I feel everything that you, pe- you people, which is you and Jeremy, <laughs> you people would make popcorn in a pot. I mean, I would... Uh, Jeremy would. I don't make popcorn. Like, I don't eat popcorn, so... I've seen you make popcorn so many times. Mm-mm. When? <laughs> when? In, in the microwave. Oh, here. And, like, just yeah. in the last month or whatever, because Jeremy really got this hankering for popcorn. I love popcorn. All of a sudden. But I really and love it popped in a pot. I mean, anything's better not in a microwave. That's not... I don't know if that's true. What do you think is best cooked in a microwave? A chicken. I don't, I don't have a microwave, but... Have you ever? No. My mom has one, actually, now. I'm not sure why. I cannot picture mother it's using literally, microwave. Oh, I think she'll heat up, you know, all that food she buys at the cheese shop. And she'll heat it up in a microwave. 
Yeah, probably in the, like three in the morning. She's like, I'm hungry. Maybe I mean, she's like decoupaging or whatever. I mean, but I really would, I just can't, I picture me like it's bad for you. I mean, I hadn't had a microwave forever. We moved into this apartment. There was a microwave. I was like, I'm never going to use that. And then I got here one day after driving back from Bart. I was so hungry and I wanted to heat up this Indian food. And I was like, I just have to do it. Wow. And I, while I did it, I read from like the Mayo Clinic and all these, I like Googled, like, is it bad for it, you? It doesn't matter. And it's not. Yeah. And you know who first told me a microwave's not bad for you? Mm-hmm. Jacob Sleminski. And I, I was like, it. he would know. Like, you he's know our who, most science friend. Who, 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 I grew up without a microwave. Never had one. Full cancer. That. Oh, that's true. <laughs> true. True. It's true. And you didn't drink. You didn't smoke. None of it. You, like, none of it. You ate, like, clean. Mm-hmm. Your your body has always been so there's, together. So it's not a science, it, you guys. You guys. It's not a science. It's really not. Really not. Um, okay, so the party happened. There's all this food. There, Lovely yes, people. just a trough of carrots, as you said. We did. Lovely um, people. We held stones. We did. We had si- silence. Was my favorite part. When we all sat in silence, did yeah. we laugh through it? A little, but then uh-huh. we decided to do silence just through the clock changing, which felt great. Wasn't that nice? And it was really nice to listen to other households do the countdown. That was amazing. Yeah. To hear that people around like yelling. I really value quiet. Same. Yeah. It's it's um, good. And then uh, and, and Aaron let us and uh, Aaron Markey let us in a chant and like a well we made sounds a, a and sound that really chant. made me laugh. That really made you laugh. Yeah. Um, I was rem- actually while we were in that meditation, I remembered one of my favorite New Years began by me being like, "I'm going to go meditate through it at Jiva Mukti," uh-huh. and so I went to Jiva Mukti, and I don't remember the name of the people who founded it, but they gave this talk at the beginning where they were talking about like why I need to be a vegan, and then it tilted into like don't use paper towels, and then she said trees are people too, mm-hmm. and I was like. Okay. I can go, I can go like anywhere spiritually, but I was like, well, <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I really want to have a Diet Coke and go dancing. So I just left. Wow. I was like, I'm not going to do this. And so you made it out of there before the new year. Before it even began. I was like, Mm-mm, this isn't what I want to do. I really want to party. And I like latched up with Neil oh. and, um, some other Queens. Oh, uh, my friend Viva and we uh, like had Diet Cokes and did some dancing Where and did went you dance? to. I can't even tell you, <laughs> but I remember that uh, Viva's then partner had a van and drove me home, which was at that point in Tribeca. And I remember thinking I'd never been in a car on New Year's, like at oh, like yeah. three a.m. And we drove by. I remember this one girl like came like in high heels in a slip, just screaming. With, like, makeup everywhere, but in, like, a fun way. Like, she wasn't afraid. She was just like, hey, hey, I want to ride. Like, just screaming at us. And all these other people coming out of, like, on the streets. And it looked like a zombie movie. People falling down. People a mess. When you say... Uh, oh, it's because someone had a van. It was a van, yeah. So there's yeah. All, we were all piled in it. That was a real standout New Year's for me. There's something really nice about it all. I can't think of, like, a... Generally, New Year's is disappointing, I find. I mean, one that does stand out was the one where we went to those old guys' house and we faced all the directions of the universe, and I remember it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was when we we did a big ritual there. Last year, I was at Andrew Wallace's house. It was lovely. 
I have no idea what I did. Oh, I was in Sao Paulo last year. That was amazing. That oh, was that really was a good. Year ago, that you yeah. learned about Melissa's shoes. Heaven. And I wear them now. Wow. Melissa's shoes, please think of being um, a sponsor for us or we'll do an We've ad We've certainly for you. done enough press for them on Instagram. I, I truly feel we have. Um, and uh, what else? I mean, last time was really sweet. It was really nice. And then nice. this morning I woke up. I saw Were you my... tired this morning? No. I was I mean, yeah, so no. Tired. I don't have normal. Okay. I woke up and I saw that I had an email from Netflix that said, new thing on Netflix... Marie Kondo something. That's all I had to see. I didn't know what the show was. I just mm. saw her name. Uh-huh. And I was like, but that's what's happening. After breakfast, we turned it on. And Marie Kondo has a show that's kind of like any one of those organization shows. Right. Where, like, it's a series and she goes to a family, one, one per episode. She teaches them how to Marie Kondo their life. Do you know who she is? Of course, yeah. Oh, she's okay. the one who, it's like, you hold the object up and you're like... Does this spark joy? Spark joy. And then, if it doesn't, you throw it out the window. Right, right, right. So, she's four foot eight. <clears throat> Amazing. Something you have to know. She wears mm-hmm. flats. Oh. And she shows up at people's homes, like, really kind of like... I'm not going to... Uh, the first word that came to mind was hideous, but they're just regular people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so she goes, the first one, she goes into these people's house and they have these two kids and they seem fairly normal. And mm-hmm. the house isn't even that messy, but, you know, she she teaches them how to do the whole thing. And the before the process begins... You've already gotten to know them. You see what the problem is. And she was like, so the first thing... And what did you think the problem was? Well, the problem was that they are overwhelmed by having two young children. Uh And the wife has some emotional problems around doing laundry. Uh So she doesn't do it. Wow. And they they hire in a person to come do laundry. But still, it's insane. Just to do laundry. It's Not to clean their house, but just to do laundry. Just laundry. Is there that much laundry? Well... Do they have, have a washer and dryer in their two, house? Two sets. <gasps> two sets. So they're rich. No, but there was a set of washer and dryer in the garage. <laughs> I'm British. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a standing set in the kitchen. So it's kind of like, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either because I don't even, I love She had that. emotional distress around folding clothes. Uh-huh, she couldn't go to therapy. Well, they, this whole family, basically they were getting therapy through organizing their house. Okay. But I also think talk therapy would be great for them. Anyhow. No, I think tidying therapy is. <laughs> tidying therapy. Are you going to do talk therapy or tidying therapy? I think I could be an organizational therapist. Oh, that's so fun. Maybe you can look through my house today and tell me if what I If you have any listeners of. who need a lot of help organizing and want to pay me a huge sum of money, I'm happy to come to your house. That would be amazing. I will bring Tupperwares. If we have any listeners who want a therapy session and want to pay me a lot of money, <laughs> I, will I, will, I will come to your... I will, I will come to your house and I will give you a real this and that. Mm. Some analysis, some psychodynamic. Anyhow, go on. But the best thing is that right before they begin the whole process of tidying, she has them all... Um, sort of like find a spot of quiet and then they all close their eyes and they just sit in silence and listen to the house and thank the home until they're done. And I literally and, cried. Uh, I was really like, this is meaningful because that house gave them so much. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that is so... It's, when you kind of like... like the, when you kind of break from certain 
aspects of being for yourself that I would say are, are sort of secular mm-hmm. is always uh, incredible to me. Well, I believe in home and I believe in like the power of organization that it can really like free you and make you happier. Like energetically? Do you believe in energy that way? Is well, I think like your your surroundings have like a big effect on your energy, right? Absolutely. So like if your house functions really beautifully mm-hmm. and makes you happy visually, mm-hmm. you're going to be happier. Mm-hmm. Though sometimes I have to say, like this past week, I was, because I'm trying to like free up that testosterone in my body, okay. that free tea. <laughs> so I've been doing like squats and stuff and I've had some more energy actually just from like... Mm-hmm. Exercise. The gym. From having and, blood flowing through your body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Instead of like... Laying down, staring at the window, and um, <laughs> watching the clouds pass and the light go from light to not light. Within and like three hours. Right, That's totally. all we have exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. true. Even now, it's like a two thirty-six and sun it feels is, like dust. The sun is setting. Almost down. It's truly almost setting. It's so depressing. It's real bell jar. Anyhow, um, but I would, I sort of like would come home and I mean, my house, the house is like always pretty clean, but I would like just throw my coat on the floor or I'd love coming back from Bard and dumping my bag out on the floor in my office and just letting everything spill out and leaving it there for like a day. Really? There's something to breaking out of also my kind of type A or OCD-ness that helps me too and also feels like it frees energy. Well, the first step in the Mari Kondo is that they... <clears throat> There's four. Cat- I haven't read the book. I no, don't no, know no, anything no. about it. There's Only like from you four and Jen. categories of stuff. There's clothing. Mm-hmm. There's a like personal personal keepsakes. I have a lot of those. There's um, like tools, which is like kitchen uh-huh. and. Maybe there's only three categories. Anyways, <laughs> wait. But think of what the fourth could be. And then there's people. <laughs> right. You've got to clean them up. And you've got to, like, go through your phone was, and be like, does this spark joy? It was really interesting to be like, wow, there really is only those few categories of objects in the house. What about plants? Oh, those are miscellaneous. Okay. Those fit into miscellaneous. But, so the first People. thing she does is you take, you start with the clothes. Mm. You take every item of clothing in oh, the entire house yeah, yeah. and you put it in a mountain. Yes, I love that. Mm. And then you just start sorting through the whole thing Mm -hmm. and then you get rid of the ones that don't spark joy and then you fold the ones that you do keep properly into and when I say that it's the Marie Kondo folding method where you're basically turning all the foldable clothes into like small rectangular bundles that can sit in your drawer um, like books so you Mm. see everything Mm -hmm. what about hangers and stuff you can hang stuff okay hangable clothes still on hangers okay great yeah 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 (laughs) But it was that that's how I like to clean too. I like I used to get to my mom's house every summer. Ugh. And if I was going to have to be there for like any extended period of time, I was like, well, today's the kitchen. I would literally open every cabinet and every drawer, put everything in the middle of the room and start again. We've talked about this before on this podcast, but even before Marie Kondo in 2008, mm-hmm. you did the Marie Kondo method on your mother. I sure did. You would hold up objects in front of her. I wish I'd written and a be book like, and then choose. I do too, actually. Mm. But, you know, whatever. Maybe Marie Kondo will bring you in as a person who can go and help people with their parents. <clears throat> that would be a whole other subset. That's a good show. I think that does happen on this series. Because, like, the second episode is this guy who called her to come help his parents. But... Uh, Okay, but I think that okay, <clears throat> I think there'd be mom, something interesting to working with the person, having them go deal with their parents directly. Right. She also doesn't speak English, so she always has a translator with her, which I'm sure slows down the process. Mm-hmm. And I 
famously speak English. So. Right, exactly. I mean, uh, hello. You could, get one, of those, you could get one of those earbud things that translates. Or they could send me to Japan and I could also have a translator. Uh, I love that. You actually should be the Exchange. American uh, ambassador yeah. of the Mari Kondo I need method. an easier name, though. Reed Bartleby is really hard, you know. Mm, read. The read method. Read. Just read. Um, wait, so the clothes and then like books, same, object, same, pile all that too? Well, Keep it's generally it like start with the clothes, mm-hmm. move to the kitchen and the garage. The other things, I don't remember. What about keepsakes? Keepsakes is again the spark joy thing, but she wants you to like, if you have keepsakes that you love, like it's good to be able to see them. Basic- yes. Basically like she wants you to see the things you have. Right. Yeah. Right. So that there isn't like closets of stuck energy. Exactly. That's just like exactly. junk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. that you're like, well, <sighs> I'm, yeah. Though our podcast lacks any structure, I think this is a very important conversation for the new year. I don't think our podcast lacks structure <laughs> any more than any other podcast that you like to listen to. That might be sort of true. It is totally true. Uh, what are their names? Your new Pat favorite? and Cat. We're gonna we'll have them on. We'll we'll do an exchange. You'll write them. It'll all work out. Pat and Cat of Seek Treatment. I I do realize you're not listening to our podcast. Mm. But maybe one day you will, and maybe one day we'll do a crossover, and we do know we have a mutual friend in Peter Smith, who's also been on our podcast. There you go. Has not yet been on yours. Oh, wow. Can you imagine? That's strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, think of all the people we still know who need to come on this podcast. 2019, we're coming for you. We really are. Um, so you watched that. And then I came here. And then you came here. Yeah. Do you feel... Do you think I need to Marie Kondo my own not apartment? At, literally not at all. It's good. I'm in more need of it than you because I tend to... Mm, I have like very, very, very crazy organization systems for things I no longer need. So oh. I have thousands of programs from shows I've seen. Thousands. Why are you keeping those? I don't know, but I... How does it feel to think about letting them go? complicated it reminds me of like the magazines your mother has yeah she got rid of a lot of them <gasps> wow they're only halfway to the ceiling but i felt like those were holding the ceiling up they weren't apparently wow because the ceiling did not fall down oh, that's incredible i really have always felt like those magazines <laughs> and the front room the of her house was empty how did there was happen? a christmas tree in it what someone helped her did you ask yeah but we didn't have a talk about it did you say did someone help you and she was like yes yeah, exactly. And then that was brief. it. Uh-huh. And I was okay, just like, it. well, hallelujah. That's amazing. But I, so the program saying, okay, so several years ago, I also had 10 years worth of Martha Stewart livings. Right. And I was moving. And so I was like, okay, gotta get rid of these. And I started looking through them and I was like, but I can't. So I started pulling out sections of them that seemed important and then mm-hmm. making files of like, these are all the good things. These are all the weekly meals. These are all the... And it was insane. And then, so I spent hours and hours filing away all the things. And then eventually I was like, I can just get rid of all this. Years later. So with the programs now, it's like, now I'll take the information out of a bigger program and get rid of all the ads and then put it back in the cover. I know, it's so stupid. I know, but why do you want that program? I don't know. Well, how does it make you feel? Does it spark joy? It sparks a sense of history that maybe in my future, it'll help me in remembering and kind of like journaling in a way. I mean, here's the thing about this apartment. 
I have boxes that are at Jeremy's studio. I have uh, like a bunch of those black plastic boxes, boxes with from, stuff you don't even know what's in them. I do know what's in them, but I should, I could, there's things I could get rid of. Yeah. I also have a couple boxes at my mom's house of like childhood things that I was mm. like, I got mad because they'd been moved and I was like, but like, why do I still have this stuff? Well, history. I, think there I need is, to keep my history. There is something about history. And I mean, I, I think I'm, I don't know if I have a kind of like, idea that I'll want to really look back at some point. Mm-hmm. Like I was so, I remember, you know, when I read Blood Memory at 16 mm-hmm. and, and reading Martha look back in that way and the photos that were there and this thing. And I was like, well, I, I mean, that's sounds so narcissistic to just like no, no, compare no. myself to Martha Graham and I'm not like, meaning I'm, it like that, but I was I like, I'm well, narcissistic enough to be like, I'm important enough that I need to maintain my history for the future of well, people. Well, and I didn't, I was never thought of it in a memoir sense. I really didn't. But I thought like, what if I just want to look back at myself? What like, about when the exhibit at the museum happens? The this and that, when I'm at MoMA. With Jack this and, that, this and that. This and that, yeah. Yeah. The this and that retrospective. No, like, is, okay, here's my thought. I'm not going to totally get rid of everything as long as I keep it like manageable and incredibly organized. Okay. It's going to be okay. Because it's like, doesn't take Do you have all time. of your journals still? Yes, though, I have misplaced an important one from boy choir school that I remember reading one day when you were at my house and it was then so it's there. funny. It's no, got to be at your house. You didn't take it. You put it in that, like, those closets by the, on the other side. Maybe, There's the bed that's I've over looked, there. And I, I, I'm nervous. I literally watched you put it in with that, like, city ballet calendar. I know, I know, I know. But... Um, I, uh, after the breakup with Matthew Rogers, got rid of all of them. Got rid of everything up to 2008. So weird, Jack. I was really like, like all of my journals starting from like middle school. That's sad. Why would you do that? I felt this need to just Perch. burn. Yeah. Wow. I was like everything up until this point must go. And it was also like my Saturn return and all of it. Um, well, on that note, let's take a break and let people think about that. Or nostalgic, get rid of everything. You know, mm-hmm. and I, it, let's, let's, we're going to take a break and we're going to leave on that note. If you feel like, if you're feeling sad or if you're feeling like, you know what? I need a big change. Get rid of everything. Everything. Even if it sparks joy. All right. Well, we looked at that photo. How'd you feel? Well, um, my working leg did look very um, expressive in terms of like energetically coming out of my body. But it's almost hard to call it an arabesque because my back is in a flat line with my leg, which seems to be the state of my arabesque these days. So as my arabesque goes as a nearly 40-year-old ex-ballet dancer, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. And um, in my imagination, when you talked about the photo, I had for some reason was like, maybe it's a picture where my back is up and my leg is up. I don't know. How, that wouldn't have been possible, but I imagined that it was possible. I feel like you could extend your upper quarter in that moment. Like, leave the low back where it's at. Mm-hmm. And just just right from, like, T6 through the top of the head. Just do yeah. that. Because I mean, that I could, part of your back is real flexible, definitely, girl. like, bring my neck up. But, <laughs> you know, I felt, like look, I felt like looking right at the floor. Yeah. Um... So, we're back. Hi, we're back. Hi, we're back, we and Alistair's break. gone. Alistair McCauley is leaving the Times. He yeah. he submitted his last piece. I read it, and um, 
you know, I felt like uh, it was nice to have at least been a part of some of the work he talked about that felt mm-hmm. sort of like validating for me mm-hmm. to be like, oh, like the Times has given a lot of credit to some of these works that I've contributed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I do think some people have made the point that maybe his perspective is very myopic in terms of his interests, but mm-hmm. I think the reality is and has been since he got there that his interests are specific and he has a lot of history in knowing about those things, which are Ashton, Balanchine, Taylor, Cunningham, and those are his passions. And he writes on them very well and he writes on them very frequently and I think the reason the Times has more than one critic is to make sure there's more coverage for the breadth of the New York dance community. All this to say that the New York Times, um, it would be nice if the New York Times took more of a responsibility for caring for and advocating for downtown artists, but I don't actually think that that is their stake in the community. It certainly... it certainly hasn't been in his tenure and it wasn't before that. I don't believe so either. I think that that is, uh, it is something that is difficult with now. I mean, also all this to say if for our show that we're doing next week, last year, I couldn't have had more dreamy press around it. Mm -hmm. We had two huge previews. Mm -hmm. She had that amazing preview and then a full page review. Oh, yeah. And it was it was a lot of it was <clears> a lot <throat> of space that I also felt engaged with and talked critically about the work. Yeah. And um and in, in terms of Alistair, I mean he has written about my work in a way that I have that I found uh interesting considering his his loves and mm-hmm. uh that he and what I appreciated is that he it brought up questions for him that he couldn't answer, and he put it in the in the review. And he, uh, but I, I also, I, I, you know, I I think it's this thing of what do we want to see happen, and what what does the dance community need, right. and it needs a lot. Yeah, it it is, and but if I look historically at work especially and this is the same everywhere when work is vanguard it is it just simply doesn't get the same amount of coverage and favorable reviews uh as more uh uh i'm thinking of like um what's the word i want to use supported (sighs) well and also just work that's happened already like work that's tried and true and that has a sort of that has established itself that you know and Martha and Merce didn't famously start famously hated way. by the times famously hated by it. I mean it's I think of a uh, what's that I mean I I can like scan back through all those reviews of you know for Martha like the goddess who belched it looks like she's giving birth to a cube right. you know and um cruel things uh, written in terms of mass readership at that time. Yeah. And so I think the thing that is so challenging and complicated is how can also a paper that is, uh, widely read still, Mm -hmm. um, 
engage with and support Vanguard work. And for myself, I can only say personally that is something that last year I felt very supported in. Mm-hmm. And totally. around a work that I felt uh, could really go either way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, of course, I have James in it and Lloyd and Garen and you and mm-hmm. the, and you all bring a, a level of um, knownness. Mm-hmm. But what the work was doing and where it was looking to shatter and un, undo itself inside of it, I felt uh, both before it and in the review, it was it was seen mm. and um, uh, and not only in content but in form I felt and you feel it's, it is it's outside of norm yeah. what have you I mean I my experience with the times is that it's been it's nice to be mentioned it gives it bolsters your career in a way mm-hmm. I don't think the writing on costumes is ever particularly good or in-depth in the times because mm-hmm. it can't be these people mm-hmm. aren't fashion critics mm-hmm. they are dance critics so mm-hmm. in that way I've had some frustrations but I don't fault the individuals writing the reviews it's kind of like that's just the nature of being the costume designer involved mm-hmm. in the dance that said I think though for people in more marginalized parts of the dance community or culture who look at Alistair as like an older white male writing on like his obsessions, you know, that can feel problematic. But Alistair has also done things like continually point out the lack of um, kind of genderless abstraction in ballet and why do people continue to push this narrative of like men and women dancing together always in a specific way Mm. and i think that he acknowledges that these kinds of things have been you know de rigueur with like mark morris and other choreographers for many years 30 (laughs) totally and but he i think is the direct cause of some change in the mainstream ballet community in Mm. terms of like more acceptance of like different kinds of sexuality um, on stage. And also, he's really pushed forward some female choreographers like Pam Tanowitz and Liz Gehring. So, like, it hasn't been all... It's not been all bad. I will say... (laughs) I'm going to say the one worst thing for me that he ever did in writing in The Times. It was a real shock to me and did show the kind of, like, myopic nature that any critic would have in terms of their experiences when... He saw a solo that Michelle Boulet made, and he referred to her as a dancer of limited ability, uh, which I thought was ultimately totally shocking and showed a lack of um, experience yeah. around non-traditional bodies, which I'm saying in quotations because she's a beautiful body, right. and she's a dancer of virtuosic ability, yeah. which I think for many of us is incredibly clear. I mean, how I would phrase that is ballet and contemporary ballet bodies right. is, what I would say, is what I would say that is perhaps what you're meaning right. there in those quotes. Go on. So I will, that was one example I can remember of a kind of hole in the fabric of his dance knowledge and experience mm-hmm. which is fine they all have they can't all completely have total blanket knowledge of like what it all is and what it all should be and you know the fact that they even go and try to talk about it sometimes is fine yeah i mean for me uh, of course and I've, I've talked about this podcast before in terms of who would get sent to what work and why for mm-hmm. me personally be, uh, for whatever reason became some kind of 
mission of maybe testing how annihilated I could become by it, by continually sending Brian Siebert to my work. Right. Who, from the get-go, did not like it, and yet, and didn't get it, mm-hmm. and wasn't interested in getting it. Right. And was continually sent to it, which began to, for me, smell of if I could survive a homophobic criticism that was being jettisoned out. That is a situation where it should have been their responsibility earlier on mm. to just sign a different critic, like, immediately, because you can't send people who have a very clear bias over and over to, like, demolish your work. And I will also say, and I've, I've talked about this before, Alistair, uh, when I had spoken with him once, said that I should read everyone's reviews so I have a sense of where they're coming from. And I did that. Yeah. And I did read everyone's reviews to have a sense of where they're coming from. And it's why I can say what I say about Brian in terms of his reviews. I don't know him as a person. I can only go by what he's written. I think it's hard for people who make dance and are involved in any kind of like dance criticism where it's happening to them. It can feel very personal. But ultimately, it's personally about the critic more than it is about you. Absolutely. So... Maybe critics shouldn't bring their personal self into the work, but that is what makes the criticism ultimately interesting. Otherwise, we're just hearing descriptions of pieces. Right. And I think that is also this thing of when something is so... When when we're dealing with... This is... It's time-based art. It's And it's also not theater, meaning that frequently, especially in these more contemporary forms, or we could say downtown dance, we have these artists who are actually looking to, like myself, shatter and fracture narrative. And so if there isn't this storyline, you can give something to kind of guide an audience through, well, it's it's a young woman lost in the woods and then she, you know, mm. da-da-da-da-da, that it doesn't have this play structure of which theater critics get to have, nor does it have a standalone ob- art object that the visual art critics get to have, you're talking about dance, which it's, oh, I run out of words, which is mm-hmm. why I go to dance. Yeah. So that is where I think the the use of bringing in the personal or how that affected them can, is something that I think it's rely or can be relied on or is used as a way for that review to be read, mm-hmm. I guess. I, I mean, I, it's, I don't have the answers of how dance should be written about. No. And I honestly, like, I don't think that the Alistair Macaulay era at the Times should be remembered as, like, a black time or a bad time. I think it came with good and bad, depending on how you feel about it. And I think there's also the thing of, as we were talking about earlier, of looking back at the Times en general. I mean, and, and really getting back through the history of that. And it is... It is something, I think, not for everyone to think about. And what do you, for the future, what is it that you're looking to do? And what is the what is the critical dialogue looking to do? And what is the engagement with the form? And is it there to help forms go forward and to create dialogues and hopefully, at least what I want, a, a sense of catharsis and, and healing with the medicine of live art? Mm. Um, or, and I think that this is something that it has is certainly discussed frequently is it are there is it weird private vendettas about uh feelings or or something that i can't even suss out where that comes from for critics i mean but we have a really long history before this tenure of 
of people like that. I'm thinking of one theater critic in particular whose name I can't, uh, Max Beerbaum. I'm thinking of the criticism of Max Beerbaum of in both theater and dance and the ways in which um, some really beautiful writing and then some just vicious like mm. uh, ways of writing that was very much about the personality of mm-hmm. this critic's experience mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. So that that's... That said, I don't think we need to say much more about it. I mean, no. I only hope that future critics of the Times don't spend, don't put a lot of energy into, I don't know, I think it gets complicated when critics talk about dancers' bodies or dancer, and I, I mean, we're all looking at bodies, mm-hmm. but to like talk about like the size of someone's thighs or to mm. um, talk about like yeah. how beautiful you think someone is, it's sort of like, okay, well, like... Yeah. Calm down. Let's just talk about the dance. And I, I, I think, for me, critically, in I, in terms of how to discuss this work, it's also how do we want to educate our audiences around viewing the work? Which for everyone then is what is your continued education? Mm. What are you engaged with in in reading? And if you don't understand a work, how can you express the questions around it? Um, and uh, and have it open out in some way. And a lot, I mean, it, I, for me, when we started doing this podcast, it was because I also did want there to be other ways of discussing this work and getting it outside well, we of... we have something to say. I'm not which To get it outside of also, outside of the New York dance world, which I think all, especially the downtown dance world, can feel really trapped by. Yeah. And the sense of like, well, how do I get out there? I mean, and... Um, and have an impact outside of my own community. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that I, I, I think, I think that's more my opinion on, though I don't know what critics should do. I think something that, as always, I appreciate is when it's able to discuss the work, um, with a sense of, with what are the questions and, Mm -hmm. and getting into it in a more analytic way that, hopefully can also still be enjoyable for the everyday reader. Well, keep reading the times. Who knows what's going to happen? It's all going to be fine. I'm curious what will be next. Probably me. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> Chief dance critic of the New York Times is going to be read Bartleby. And sometimes it'll just be like, not a whole lot. Or I'll be like, I slept quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going back through my programs and I really, you know, like, a whole piece about like the 200 programs you've collected. And how many of them I slept through. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, what are we talking about now? Um, oh, well, and, and now for, oh, I saw something last week. This is, this is it. So we, mm-hmm. I did, I did get, to, I did see performance and I did think while watching it, um, that it would have been on my best of 2018 list, which was Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. And at New York Theater Workshop. At New York Theater Workshop. Is across the street from La Mama? Is that true? It is. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the best things I've ever seen in my life was at New York Theater Workshop, really? which was Evo Manhoff Street, her name Desire. Okay. Starring. Elizabeth Marvel as Blanche. And oh, it shook me to my <laughs> core. It really, again, something I think that got a really not good review. And I was, but the people who I saw it with were like, <gasps> it was, I could go on and on about that. And maybe another time. The Jeremy's writing is... He wrote Slave Play. He, he's the playwright of Slave Play. And there's, he, something that I do look for in... Uh, I mean, as I, theater's hard. 
I, I don't, don't like Peter. I, you don't. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, there was that amazing Betty Davis. And we can always go back to Betty Davis in that interview being like, I hate theater. What? I know it's a terrible interview, but I hate theater. What? I, I hate theater. <laughs> but, and I think it's because, and for you and I, we've talked about this, when it's telling us what to feel mm-hmm. and it's... Um, also, I don't like I don't like people projecting their voices. Mm. I don't like when people are speaking at high volume as if they're not speaking at high volume. I'm right, like, you right. look like you're making such an effort to have this conversation. Right, right, right. It, we're really we're like this doesn't this it's and I think that level of performativity can lock you out of oh, like- the of the direct That's why experience. I like movies cuz microphones. Well, movies are highly intimate. Yeah. Anyway, in this work, Jeremy's writing uh, has and I said this to one of the actors who's in it, I know James, that there it's the writing is relentless and there is a a choreography to the syntax which was real which I really which I want and really look for in writing. It's also um it starts with extreme fantasy that is comedy with a lethal edge mm. and and then it breaks apart and that is a, a form that is something that I, I love. It's like it's you lead people into the uh, into the darkness by by starting with a, a sense of but even in the beginning I really liked that there was a lot of instability. I wasn't quite sure where it was gonna go. Um, the cast was exceptional they all really dropped in there um and i i just i i wanted to say that i, I saw it and you saw it. it and loved it and i um i hope that i get to see daddy which is this next play oh wow um also at new york theater workshop no it's gonna be at new group and new group yeah it's gonna be out in your group um, and then the other thing that we're going to talk about after the break is that you couldn't finish watching... Oh, we're another break? No, no. The, after the break, we had. Oh, I see. That made no sense, Jack. Well, it made sense to me. Oh, it just yeah. didn't make sense to you. <laughs> Hence, just like dance. <clears throat> made yeah. sense to me. It just didn't make sense mm-hmm. to you. Theater. Um, oh, yeah. So I started Hereditary on the plane. Yeah. And then the other day I saw that it was on Amazon Prime for free. So and I was you just like, I it. can try this. So at home alone, starring Macaulay Culkin, I, <laughs> I, I continued on with the film and I made it probably another half hour before I was like, I see things are going to go very awry now mm-hmm. and I had to stop. So I have questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll tell you where I got to, right? Mm-hmm. So, the daughter dies. This is fun for me, by the way, because I love it when you recap a film for me. Right, right, right. It's like one of my favorite things, so I'm so excited I get to be in that seat. The strange-looking daughter gets decapitated. Mm. The brother does, like, the most amazing acting in the car. Incredible. Super what it's like. Panic. Panic, but also just, like... From that time, I was driving a car with my sister in the back and also knocked her head off. I remember feeling exactly that way. Frozen panic. That was exactly what it was like. Looking up at the movie and just being like... Intuiting, like... I can't even... I can't go there right now because I'll have an anxiety attack. Oh, wow. You really made you feel anxious. Uh Come on. So... So then the flies on the head and Tony Collette is, you know, losing her mind. Sobbing, Thinks about going to this group therapy, mm-hmm. and Aunt Lydia stops her in mm-hmm. the in the parking lot, right. and then um, she's not doing well at home. Right. She's making dioramas of the accident, sure. and then you see she's made a diorama of I think her son decapitated in bed, and the that. husband Gabriel Byrne is like, "This is not okay. 
He comes home one day and Tony Collette has destroyed all of the artwork, which is due to the gallery. Mm-hmm. She's had another run-in with Aunt Lydia in the parking lot where Aunt Lydia is like, I had this incredible experience where I did a seance and my... Mm-hmm. Outside um, of the Michaels. Outside the Michaels <laughs> and where Tony Collette has gotten more balsa wood, etc. to make her exquisite dollhouses. Mm-hmm. Where I'm also like, she never seems to be actually making anything. It's always just finished. You know what I mean? Well, you have to, Queen. Like, it's always like, just, just have her, like, painting finished. it. Like, painting yeah. it with a, a... She always just, like, dabbing green mm-hmm. paint on With a it. toothpick. Yeah. Um, but, so Aunt Lydia's, like, the seance. And then she ends up at Aunt Lydia's apartment and experiences the presence of Aunt Lydia's grandchild's ghost. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's so scary. She goes home. And you don't... Does it herself. She does. You hear her saying the incantation. Mm-hmm. She has her son and husband come downstairs, and they... Big candle. And, like, weird stuff happens, mm-hmm. and the husband's really mad and freaked out. Everyone's freaked out. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of... And then I started realizing she's going to kill her family. Uh-huh. Well, like, in this way. Like, it's... I mean... It, she doesn't kill. So now I'm going to tell you it. So spo- oh, if you haven't I seen saw, Hereditary, I stop saw now. The, the sketchbook doing magic drawings mm-hmm. of the dad's head with no eyes or something. It's the son's head. Yeah. Okay, so go on. I think. Tell me what happened. So then she is like, okay, that book is the sketchbook. Uh huh. That okay. book is enchanted. Now enchanted by Amy Adams. <laughs> <laughs> A movie that I liked, by the way. It's incredible. She gives an Oscar-worthy performance in that movie. I really like Amy Adams. She's amazing. Um, okay, so she thinks that the sketchbook is inhabited by some sort of demonic force. It could be, like, her mm. uh, daughter. She's not sure, and she decides. She's like, I've brought this thing in, and I need to stop it before it kills our son. And wait, wait, wait. Is she taking it to Aunt Lydia? No, she takes it to her husband. And she was like, she's like, I have realized. Oh, she goes to burn the book and she starts on fire. Her own body starts Her on fire. arm starts, her clothes start on fire and she has to pat it out and pull the book out. So she brings Gabo burn down and she is like, I'm, so, I'm this book is, oh, before that. Because the ghost of the sister is mad at the brother. She thinks so. Now I'm going to back wait, up. There's also this dinner, I remember, where she's basically... Yeah, where she yells like, at her son. She's basically, like, blaming... The son. Him, right. but not blaming him. Right, so as she sees it in the sketchbook, she I thinks the I also saw the part where she's come. standing over him in the bed, and she's basically like, I never wanted to have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then... So... so and did you... So there's another scene, and it could be there, where he wakes up wet crying yes and she's holding a match yes and he realized that that she's he's she's covered him in gasoline because that's a thing she did to them when they, when were, they were children young. right in and her then, sleepwalking right and then he wakes up out of that right so and then i maybe shortly after that also his hands reach through behind his yes, bed and grab him, him. Uh-huh, and he calls for her and all that so then at school he's at school and he's on a playground and he hears uh, this no, oh. he. I think his name's Peter, but I can't remember. Sure. Here's his name being called, and he looks across the street, and it's Aunt Lydia, and she is yelling, "I cast you out! I cast you out!" Something to the effect Why? of like, "I'm ca- I want to cast you out of your body," and he goes back into school, and he's feeling kind of. It, I don't know if this is linear because I saw this movie a while ago. He goes back in school, and he's feeling weird, and he looks 
in um, like the cabinet next to him where you can see his reflection. Oh, yeah. And his reflection smiles at him. I saw that. And then his arm jolts up and he starts to like have an eyelid droop down. That's where I stopped. And then his hand grabs his head and smashes his head into the desk. Oh my God. I didn't get that. And then he has a total breakdown and is brought home and is put in bed where he promptly falls asleep. At that point, Tony Collette is like, it's happening and it's coming to kill him. She brings Gabriel Byrne down and she's like, you, the, the power's in this book, but when you set this book on fire, I'm going to go up in flames and you have to do it. <gasps> He's like, I don't believe you. She's like, it's true. She's sobbing hysterically. Tony Collette, A++++. Always giving like A++, lover. She she really nails that. She's you know full of crying. She's really good when she'd first conjured the spirit of the daughter mm-hmm. and you see the daughter enter her body for a second. Yeah. And you, the physicality. I mean, it took me back to Mary Jo Beth. It's the mom in Poltergeist when her daughter runs through her mm. and she starts crying and grabs her sweater and smells it. That's when theater um, movement classes from theater school come in handy for stuff like that. I mean, hi. So, um... Okay, she, oh my God, the fire. Okay. So, she has the fire. <laughs> we really do love movies. Oh, I love It's really them. like, what's going on with movies but and I stuff? But I can't watch horror movies, apparently. Well, I, I'll watch them and I'll tell you about them. So, How do you, do you feel like incredible fear and anxiety watching it? Or are you just like, cool? Mm, the last movie I felt really afraid in is Killing of a Sacred... Not, I didn't feel afraid, but that I felt heavily disturbed in was yeah, Killing of a Sacred was... Deer. Which I would put up there to a kind of horror movie. And I, I think... It is is one of my it's a fave yeah, in the last the five years. Coming out of the eyes. Okay, keep going. So I mean the spaghetti. So Ugh, just Nicole Kidman. Sickening. So then him chewing his arm. Anyhow, oh, that's incredible. Me sick. <laughs> so so sick. So Tony Collette gives the journal, gives the sketchbook Ugh. to her husband. Has the fire like all up. She's crying. She's crying. You have to do it. She kisses Gabriel Byrne and she's like, "I love you," and then. He the throws okay. it in the fire, and he promptly bursts into flames. He himself. Yes. Screaming as he just bursts into flames, like, full burn. Oh, because she's, like, covered it in, ga- like, gas, I think. She's, like, sprayed lighter <sighs> fluid on it. So there's no taking out of the fire. She, her mouth opens in this extreme shock, and then this light just goes from wherever, just goes, boom, into and her pops mouth. into her body, and her face just goes totally blank. And she's the daughter. No. Oh, no. So, oh my God. the sun, and that's it. There's the sound of so a crash. He's dead. Okay, wait, wait, okay, okay, keep going. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go linear. Okay. You're just going to have to go on this horror story with me. Oh, God, it's so scary. There's scared. the sound of a crash. The sun wakes up, and he comes downstairs. <sighs> and he, oh, before he comes downstairs, he wakes up, and he's like, Mom? Mom? Oh, and he... It's either in his room or that I think it might be his room or the daughter's room. I can't remember. He wakes up and he's sort of looking around, and you see that uh, he walks out of this room, and you see that Tony Collette is like hovered up in the corner of the wall in the ceiling, floating. Mm-hmm. And she oh. kind of air crawls out of that through the door after him, but he doesn't note that. He comes downstairs and the entire piano or harpsichord or whatever that thing was has been knocked over and finds his father's burned body in front of the fireplace. What does it look like? A charred burned body. With like glasses? 
Um, I don't remember if he gave over in his he glasses. knows it's his dad. He does. A hand is up with a dad's wedding ring on it. Oof. And he's, the son stands up and you realize behind him that there's these two naked people standing, looking at him, kind of thrilled. What? And he sort of sees them and then sees that his mom, again, is like way up floating. in the corner. Corner And she is going to come to like eat him now or so he senses he runs for it and she runs like fast as the speed of light he gets upstairs and gets up into the attic upstairs he runs upstairs That's insane just he, like go outside i don't know why okay. he, ups- outside. he just runs upstairs and he runs and he pulls down the attic and gets into the attic okay and he hears this pounding on the attic and he's crying being like mom please stop the boy also does very good he's like please stop please stop molly please stop and you hear this pounding pounding and it shows the other side she's on the other side of the uh-huh. the thing the door. uh-huh because she can now like float through air and right, she's right. just hitting her head as hard as she can against the door and she's like go 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 and then he's crying and crying and eventually the sound stops and then he sees where, like, the dead body had been upstairs. Had you seen that also she found that, like, her mother's body had been brought back to the house with oh, its yeah, head I gone? Oh, yeah, I saw this light <laughs> above your head. It was so scary. I really, but it was just, like, a reflection in my glasses. <laughs> this is so fun. <laughs> oh, it'd be really fun to find a way to do a play that could do this. Or, you know, a dance event, a performance activity. Mm. Anyhow... So she, so he's in the attic. She's also before this, by the way, brought Gabriel Byrne up to the attic where there's been this sort of outline of her dead, her dead mother's body had been brought up there or maybe her daughter's. It's a dead body with a head gone. Oh my God. And that's something else that has happened. And maybe, and also the mother's grave has been exhumed. Oh my God. I have found this out and stuff. So I can't quite remember that part, but anyhow, I think either the body's there, it's not there. Like there's some... He sees, like, where the body used to be or whatever. And he sees a picture of himself with his eyes gone. A drawing from the sketch pad. No, like a picture take, like a family photo of, like, that's there. And then he hears this, like, slurping sound. It's like... And he looks up and Tony Collette is hovering above him in the top of the attic with a razor wire that she's pulling through her own neck, looking down at him like this. Sawing her head off. Sawing her head off. And then she starts to pick up the speed and just goes really, really fast. And I think he maybe sees the naked people again. I can't remember. And he screams and jumps out of a window and lands in a flower bed. And then you hear thunk of the sound of her Her head head falling off. And then you watch this tiny light come down and go into his back. And then you see, it's on him, so you're in a wide angle. I remember that I thought the filming of this was, this part I really liked, is you see her headless body float down and out and go up into the treehouse. You watch him stand up, and then he goes and climbs up in the treehouse. There's all these naked people there, and Aunt Lydia, and she's like, thank you. You've, everything has worked out how we needed it to work out. We have rem- 
I was just talking to the daughter through Peter. She's like, We're, we had to kill you and then remove Peter's spirit to put you into Peter's spirit because the main demon wants Peter's body and we need your soul in it because you're, I guess, the main demon or something. Like, the daughter was the always... But he wanted a man's body. But needed a man's body. So they needed to have the son's body with the daughter's soul in but it. they had to get rid of all the other family. Well, and then it cut, and then there's like some sort of shrine thing built to the god of the lord of darkness and all these people are chanting to it and the mother and the grandmother's bodies are there prostrated 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 kneeling with their arms out with their heads gone like the like an old like dead bodies there with its head gone and the mom's new body with its head gone are there and he goes and stands in the place with a crown on his head with a glazed look and then i believe it ends with him going mm-hmm Huh. And he will but now it really take over like, takes that a turn. That's sort of like disappointing. Well, the problem with horror movies is once it gets to that part where you see it all, like I remember the last horror movie that scared me so bad, and it was The Conjuring, and I saw it in the theater. I'm sure I've talked about this podcast. All the time. And it scared me, scared me, scared me. And then as soon as it, like Lily is just possessed and she's running around the house, and I was like, I'm okay. You know, like, movie really scared me. Wasn't for Seven. Um. It's too horrifying. It's I it didn't is want to liter- talk about it. Is it is so scary. It's so scary. Also, Kevin Spacey. So scary. T- terrifying. That movie like, made is me just so scary. So scary. I saw it at too young an age, which was probably like twenty. I saw it at too young an age, which is I was in um, high school. No, I, was I in high school? I was because Johanna Lichtenheld, who was in my grade, drove me to see it. Oh my god! In a theater. No, in I a theater have... in the small town I at like sixteen. Um, died if I'd seen it. In the theater. I would have had a panic attack. I remember us getting out of the theater at like ten p.m. in this small town, and there's like no other cars around or anything. And I remember us both just being so terrified. Ugh, that Anyways. movie was truly horrifying. Well, thank um, you. So there you go. That's that. right. That's right. Now I feel like I can almost watch it. Yeah. Well, you could. I mean, the thing. The song, Tony Collette sawing her own head off while looking down at her son like this was now, pretty. Now, was she possessed by her daughter at that point? Sawing her at off? that point, I think that she is possessed by her mother. Oh. That's my guess. Or or just sort of the collective energy of this cult. Was so doing much this decapitation. There were, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was hereditary. Poor Gabriel Byrne. What do you mean? He oh, just, just, like, really wasn't involved. And he... Had to no. burn to death. No, you really don't. <laughs> um, well, anyhow, there you have it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year um, to you. Uh, I guess that's really it. That's it. It's we we are we are in 2019, and um, this coming week. You will be going. We will be rehearsing. You'll be going to Justin Peck's wedding, and yeah. then next week we'll be doing the show. We will. We'll really be doing the show. We really, 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 really. And. Um, I Every, like, fourth minute of my life, I feel like I'm going to have, like, an anxiety attack because of all yeah. the stuff happening. And I yeah. had lunch with Adrian and Joe yesterday, and I really, like, in all earnestness, was like, have you ever taken anti-anxiety meds? Just, like, in the way that you took nibbles of Lexapro, I was right. like, I just need a nibble. I just did something. I, you know, you could try, like, a, just a calming tea during mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. And then a CBD oil. I feel like CBD oil can maybe help some with anxiety. I, I mean, just, I run on a more sort of anxious level. I'm not accustomed to it. Sorry. Okay. It'll be over. It will be over. Yeah. There's a lot going on. We I have are, to get through January. We're... I have to get through January. 
And then we'll need to get through February and then March no, and then just April. Jan- January's one cent through January. January feels extra. And it's so extra. It's insane. Well, we're going to do it. And ladies and gentlemen, other, you will hear all about it next week because we'll be recording while we're doing the show. <sighs> and, um... <laughs> that, that's it. That is really the primal sound of it. Yeah. Uh, happy, happy uh, New Year, everybody. Happy and um, Year. hope it's as good for all of us as it can possibly be. We love you. We love you. <laughs>